Brothers and sisters, in your apps or in your physical Bibles, would you open up to Judges chapter 19? Judges chapter 19. Out of curiosity, again. Not a soul. Not a soul. Well, this, as um, I had put out there, this is one of those sections that is extremely difficult. Um, it is raw. It is, it is confusing. And um, as I have, I have been sitting in this section, even through my, uh, my, my sermon planning, going, Lord, give me wisdom. Help me to know what to do here because we know so that all Scripture is breathed out. It is inspired by God, and therefore it is to be profitable for the people of God. And we know that sometimes things in Scripture are extremely clear. You go, oh yeah, I, I see the gospel. It's absolutely clear here. I see the, the imperatives of this is what we are to do. And in other sections, it may be a bit more obscure and take a little bit more work. This is one of those sections. So we are going to read chapter 19 together. And as I told you at the beginning of the service, I am going to uh, attempt something different. And this will not be my normal practice, but it's going to And let us pray before reading his word, asking for a blessing and God's help as we read his word together. Would you pray with me? Lord, you are the one who speaks to us life unchangingly through your word, by your Holy Spirit. I long, and that we long, as we turn to these pages, these chapters here in Judges 19 through 21. So Lord, by your Spirit, would you minister to us? Would you open our eyes and our ears to receive your word? Lord, would you even guide me, a, a broken, fallible man, to guide your people in all holiness, purity, righteousness, for your name's sake, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So the word of Christ speaks to us like this, in those days when there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim himself house at Bethlehem and was there for some four months. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back. 
he had with him his servant and a couple donkeys, and she brought him into her father's house. And when the girl's father saw him, he came with joy to meet him. And the father-in-law, the girl's father, made him stay, and he remained with him three days. So they ate and drank. And on the fourth day, they arose early in the morning. And as he prepared to go, the girl's father said to his son-in-law, Strengthen your heart with, with a morsel of bread, and after that you may go. So the two of them sat and ate and drank together. And the girl's father said to the man, Be pleased to stay the night, and let your heart be merry. And when the man rose up to go, the father-in-law pressed him till he spent the night there again. And on the fifth day, he said, strengthen your heart and stay until the day declines. So they ate, both of them. And when the father, when the man and his concubine and his servant rose up to depart, the father-in-law, the girl's father, said to him, behold, now the day has waned toward, toward evening. Please, stay the night. Behold, the day draws to its close. Lodge here and let your heart be merry. And tomorrow you shall arise early in the morning. Go home. But the man would not spend the night. He, he rose up and departed and arrived opposite Jebus, that is Jerusalem. He had with him a couple of saddled donkeys and his concubine was with him. When they were near Jabus, the day had, was nearly over, and his servant said to his master, come, come now, let us turn aside to the city of the Jebusites and spend the night in it. But his master said to him, we will not turn aside into the city of foreigners who do not belong to the people of Israel, but we shall pass on to Gebeah. And he said to his young man, come. And let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night of Gebeah or Ramah. So they passed on and went their way. And the sun went down on them near Gebeah, which belongs to Benjamin. And they turned aside there to go in and spend the night of Gebeah. And he went in and sat down in the open square of the city. For no one took them into his house to spend the night. And behold... An old man was coming from his work in the field at evening. The man was from the hill country of Ephraim, and he was in Gebeah. And the men of the place were Benjamites. He lifted up his eyes and saw the, the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said, where are you going? Where do you come from? And he said to him, we are passing from Benjamin, Bethlehem in Judah, to the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, from which I come. I went from Bethlehem in Judah, and I am going to the house of the Lord. But no one has taken me into his house. We have straw and feed for our donkeys, with bread and wine for me and male servant. And the young man said with, with his servants, There is nothing, there is no lack of anything. And the old man said, Peace be to you. I will care for all of your wants. Only do not spend the night in the square. So he brought him into his house and gave the donkeys feed, and he, they washed their feet 
and ate and drank. As they were making their hearts merry, worthless fellows surrounded the house, beating on the door. And they said to the old man, the master of the house, bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him. And the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said, No, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Since this man has come into my house, do not do this vile thing. Behold, here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out, violate them, you. But against this man, do not do this outrageous thing. But the men would not listen to him. So the man seized his concubine and made her go out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. And at the dawn, and as the dawn began to break, they let her go. And as morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was until it was light. And her master rose up in the morning, and when he opened the doors of the house and went out to go on his way, behold, his concubine, lying at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, get up, let us get going. But there was no answer. Then he put her on the donkey, and the man rose up and went away to his home. And when he entered his house, he took a knife, and taking hold of his concubine, he divided her limb from limb into 12 pieces and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And all who saw it said, such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak. This is the word of the Lord. God, you may be seated. Any father who has a daughter understands that what happens. You know my daughter is that no guy will ever be good enough for her. That's the way it always was and always will be. So you'll understand that when my daughter came back home, I was glad. Oh, I, I, I was sad that her marriage had come to an end. It, it actually wasn't really even a marriage. She was a concubine. I know you don't have concubines like we have in my day. Concubines were really like wives without any privileges whatsoever. I know that you're thinking, wives have privileges? When did this all start? But believe me, you would not have wanted to be a concubine. They had it even worse. 
So when my daughter returned back home to me, I was sad for all that she had been through. But I was really, I wish I could say that my daughter was completely. The truth is that she had done some really bad things that I was not proud of whatsoever. But if you knew her husband, you knew that he had issues as well. But anyway, my daughter was back with me for four months. Then one day I looked up and I saw her husband showing up in the distance. He had a servant and two donkeys with him. I didn't know what to think at first. Maybe it was, maybe it was the look on his face or the fact that he had come all this way to bring my daughter back. It could have been the tears maybe that I had seen on my daughter's face. But for some reason, as much as I hated to see my daughter, I was glad to see her life come back together again. And again, those of you who are fathers will understand this. Although no guy is good enough, and you want to tell that no good son-in-law a thing or two, you really do want your daughter to be happy. So I saw him, and I welcomed him into our house. He came, we ate, we drank, we talked. One day turned into two, two turned into three, three turned into four, and I knew the time was coming when my little girl was going to be gone again, but I tried to delay it as much as possible. One more day. On the fifth day again, he... He got up to leave, and I stalled, and I stalled, and I stalled, and the day dragged on, but near the end of the day, I could persuade my son-in-law no longer. He saddled his donkeys, he took my daughter, and they were off. I didn't realize it at the time, but that would be the last time I would see my daughter. They left and they headed towards the city of Jerusalem. That was not such a good plan. Jerusalem was only five or six miles from where I lived, but it was not the kind of place that you wanted to spend the night. It was a foreign city, and you were going to be safe or welcomed by these people who are not your own kind, not part of your nationality, not your people. So they kept on going another five or six until they came to the city of Gebeah, a Benjamite city, one of our own, a place where we should have been safe. Thus they began one of the worst nights that you could have ever imagined, one of the saddest stories to ever have been. My daughter, her husband, and the servants went to the city square, just inside of the city gate, where they could not have been missed. There were no hotels in my day, but so hot, that makes hospitality a big deal. If you saw someone in the city square with no place to stay, it was only a common courtesy that you would welcome them into your home. But they waited. And they waited. 
twilight started turning to, they kept waiting and started to get a little concerned. But eventually, an old man came from working in, and he invited them back to his house. He washed their feet. He fed their donkeys. He provided everything that they needed. It took a while, but at least somebody came through. But I can hardly talk about what happened next. Everyone, everyone was enjoying themselves, relaxing after a long day of travel when they heard raucous outside their door. I don't know if you've ever heard what a mob really sounds like, but if you have, you can pit heard. There was, there was some banging on the door, and there was some shouting. They, they had seen my daughter, and they had seen her husband all right, and they yelled out, bring the man who came into your house out so that we can have sex with him. Their host, that hospitable man, would have... None of that. He went outside and he tried his best to handle the situation. He rebuked him, saying, Men, none of this should happen. And you won't understand this, but it was for his honor's sake. He had the duty to his male guest, my son-in-law, to protect him. He had obligations as the host of the home. I can't justify or excuse what happened next. He was so concerned about protecting my son-in-law that he actually offered his own daughter and my daughter to the mob. Look, he said, here they are. Use them as you wish. Just don't touch this man. They wouldn't listen. The, the crowd got louder and louder. The noise was too much to handle. It looked like they were actually going to come crashing into the door, through the door, in any moment. So eventually, my son-in-law, of all people, my son-in-law took things into his own hands. He took his concubine, opened the door, and threw her can't tell you what they did to her. And I'll never forgive him for throwing my girl to the mob. Nor will I forgive those who did those terrible things to my daughter. In the morning, he up. And he found my girl on the doorstep threshold. And she was just lying there. And what does he say? Get up. Let's get going. Like nothing had ever happened. She didn't, she didn't answer. So he just picks her up, puts her on his donkey, and gets going towards home. 
I don't know if she was even dead at that point. But when he gets home, what does he do? Unnamed brutality. He takes out a knife and he mutilates my girl's body and sends the pieces of her body all to the various areas of Israel as a message. I'm not one to make wild accusations, but I'd like to know, was she dead at this point? Is my son-in-law guilty of murder, or did he only desecrate the corpse of my little girl? I'm not mad at him for issuing the call to all of Israel to wake up from their lethargy. Man, Israel had to wake up. It had to be done. But I can't accept that this man, to whom I gave my daughter, whom I had fed and entertained in my house, could do this to my little girl. As far as I'm I don't know who killed her. It could have been the mob of the people. But as far as I'm concerned, he didn't have to give her to the mob. He certainly didn't have to hack her body into pieces. I'm sure if you are familiar with Scripture, as good godly people, you know the story of Sodom. Sodom... For a, a Jewish person who is the a low in Scripture, you can't get much lower than Sodom. You may remember the story of Sodom. It, it pretty much is similar to what happened to my daughter. But at least, at least at Sodom, there were angels who intervened and saved Lot and his family. There was hope. There would be no salvation at this time. Sodom is as low as it gets. Lower. I just have to say, nothing like this has ever happened in Israel. I don't know if anything worse has ever happened since. This is about as bad as it possibly can get. But there's more. When everybody received the news, or received the part of my daughter's them, as it should, they all came together. If I take pride in anything, it's that what happened to my daughter brought people together like no other judge could. I'll give my little girl that. Her life counted for something. They all came together and they realized that this was not right. Gebeah had to answer for what had happened. So all of Israel, all of Israel gathered together as an army. They set up supply lines for a battle that should be taking place. Israel had its battles, but never before had they come together with such unity, not against an enemy nation, 
but against one of its own cities. They went to the tribe of Benjamin, one of their own people, and they sent out the message that the men of Gebeah needed to be punished for what they had done. Unbelievably, the Benjamites refused to hand over these wicked men. Unbelievable. So Israel lined up 400,000 swordsmen against Benjamin. And Benjamin had 27,000. They were going to crush them. And they went to battle. If you know the story, battle won. Benjamin won. We lost 22,000 men. Battle two, Benjamin won. We lost 18,000 men. Battle three, Israel finally won. All but six Benjamites from the whole tribe, all Benjamites were killed. Finally, and who committed this horrible crime against my daughter. And you'd think that we would be happy after we finally had gotten rid of this problem. But how can you be happy when you have been fighting against your own family, your own people? The Benjamites were our people. An entire tribe had been all but wiped out. So Israel gathered again. They gathered again. They came up again to snatch unwilling wives so that the tribe of Benjamin could be repopulated by the 600 Benjamites who had escaped. There was more bloodshed. And as a father, I have to feel for the fathers of the daughters who were snatched away and given to the Benjamites against their will as wives. But you see, everyone was doing what looked right in their own eyes. It's a theme for my people, and maybe it's a theme for you. We didn't need a king to lead us into evil. We were capable of finding evil on our own. We had no king. We were just doing whatever appeared to be right in our own eyes. And I, I guess I just have to ask this question. Where did things go so wrong? Moses had said that we were supposed to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. We were to be priests, all of us. Set-apart nation that is distinct from the whole world. The, the Lord promised himself to bless us so that we would lend ourselves to other nations and we would even be able to rule over them. Moses said 
in the book of Deuteronomy. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments that I command you today, the Lord will set you high above all nations of the earth. So I ask you, where did things go wrong? Was it when we didn't take the land that the Lord promised to us? Was it when we little by little adopted the surrounded us so that eventually we looked and acted just like them? Where did we go wrong? How do we get to the point where we become our own worst enemy? How do we get to the point where we, God's own people, have become rotten to the core? That was always the problem. Them Canaanites. The reality is, it was the Canaanites within our own hearts. The Canaanites within our own, own hearts, that was the problem. We had become the problem. And my friends, it could be your problem too. Where did things go wrong? Was it the paganism of Gideon, the self-centeredness of Samson, the cowardice of Barak? Was it when we decided we could be the judges of what was right or wrong in our own eyes? How did we get to the point in which we don't show hospitality to our own people, where gang rape takes place, where a Levite throws his own concubine to a crowd, my daughter to a mob, where we can wipe out, experience genocide of a whole tribe? I'm a simple man. And I don't know the answer to these questions, but I do know that Moses laid out a path for us that would lead to blessing. And for God to set us as a light to the nations so that he could display his glory. But it wasn't the path that we took. We took our own path. And it didn't look so bad at the time. But look where it took us. Look where it took us. So I don't know the answer either. But we need help. Will God save us from what we have become? It's almost like God himself would have to come down to earth as a man to save us. Nothing else. We need a Savior.
Can you put yourself in those shoes? Understanding a father's view of Friends, the book of Judges, it really does end on a depressing note. Terrible note. Everyone, if you look at the very last verse of chapter 21, in there, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's a reign that we have picked up even from chapter 17. Five times it was mentioned. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And the reality is God's people had become rotten to the core. His, his elect, his children, his chosen ones had become to the core. They had sunken to the level of Sodom, which is in the Bible as low as you go. And scholars believe, some scholars believe that this last story happened earlier than some of the other stories that we have read. So why is this story placed last? Because I think the author wanted to make a point. Underlined, exclamation mark, bracketed out for our good. And he wanted to make this point. When God's people wander from him, the consequence is bad immediately. Maybe it's true in your own life. It's just a little, it's, it's just one degree off of God's path. And I could decide, what you know, it's not so bad. I, 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 I can live with this person. I can be, do this kind of business dealing. You know, marrying an unbeliever or living with an unbeliever or dating an unbeliever or doing this or, you know, not giving or not doing this. You know what, it's, it's not that big of a deal. But ultimately, friends, where does that one degree ultimately lead you? Totally off the path. Listen, if, if God's people, if we persist in rebelling against God, there it leads. This is where it leads. The consequences are worse than we could ever imagine. But there is a note of hope. Despite the great evil described within Judges, God has not forgotten his people at all. Slowly, through Samuel, through David, through the prophets, and ultimately Jesus, right? The climax of Scripture, the coming of that king, God's light begins to penetrate the darkness that feels so oppressive and so heavy. The darkness could not, cannot even today extinguish the light that God has sent into the world. The prophet Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah chapter 9. The in the darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep 
darkness, on them, on those people, the light has shone. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So at the end of Judges, the the tribe of Benjamin was almost wiped out. Friends, centuries later, a descendant of this almost lost tribe, Saul of became a premier interpreter of the good news of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Benjamin could have been totally wiped out. But we have the vast majority of our New Testament from a man from the tribe of Benjamin from which we can see the light of Christ Shining brilliantly. What a gift. So when we disobey God, hear this, all of you, listen carefully. When we obey God, the consequences are far But God is faithful to his promises. Always. His yes is always yes. His promises are secure. His faithfulness endures forever. God has not and will not abandon his people. He, my friends, I wish that I could have bumped this whole series down two weeks because this leads to Advent. He sent us a Savior to save His wayward children from their sins. Thus ends our series in Judges. And I pray that it has been and will continue to be a lesson for your holiness, for your growth in godliness, your love for the gospel, and your love for the God of the gospel.